Welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and I will be your host for this edition of RTR, and today I will be joined by a horde of nanites who will be speaking to us through my good friend Andrew. Uh, how are the nanites doing today? Hello, Matt. I would like to talk about evolution. <laughs> I don't know, that was kind of the worst data impression, doing the nanites, that, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he kind of does a weird voice when he's the nanites, which I don't really get why that would happen, but I guess that's what we're here to discuss. Yeah, that was a little strange, and that was some uh, terrible voice acting, but that's why we are... (laughs) Podcasting, not not voice actors? Podcasting and not voice acting, that's right. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, evolution today, which is a Next Generation episode. Um, let's start by going back to the end of the last podcast, where I uh, told did a recall for the uh, the episode. And uh, Andrew, uh, why don't you tell me how I did? Real well, almost almost a five star smash. So you had Doctor Stubbs, which is super impressive because that actually was the name of him. Uh, the Doctor in the episode, you had that the nanites escape and evolve, that they cause crazy problems amongst the ship, as well as the fact that they have an effect on the replicators, things like that. Uh, you knew that they eventually communicate with them and that they make some sort of deal to find a home. Um, the only thing that you messed up is that you said they were testing nanites, but they're not. They're testing that egg thing. Um, and you said that it was a data-heavy episode when it was a Wesley-heavy episode. And actually, that was the only thing that I remembered. <laughs> I, after you had said that, I was like, I think Wesley's in that one. That was the only real part that I think I got. So I, w- I wish that there was half marks because I would give you four and a half. But instead, I am going to give you four out of five high school projects. I know it's harsh, but you know what? Uh that means that uh, you know my uh, my grading system has been uh, has been more harshed. Well, fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's. I, I'm surprised at how much I actually did remember in this episode because um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's kind of this, a random one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was. I don't know. I, I'm not sure why it stuck out to me so much. I have no idea how I even knew it was do- the doctor's name. Just, just somewhere deep in your like cerebellum or wherever memory is stored. It was like, uh, yeah. Deep in the computer core of Matt. Uh, Dr. But Stone anyway, resides. regardless, well done, well done. Yeah, so uh, this week, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation episode, or season three, episode one, uh, Evolution. It originally aired on September 25th, 1989. It guest stars Ken Jenkins as Dr. Paul Stubbs and Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. It was written by Michael Piller and based on a story by Michael Piller and Michael Wagner and directed by Weinrich Colby. I'll give you a quick synopsis just in case you didn't get a chance to tune in over the last uh, week to Evolution so you have at least a little bit of an idea of what's going on. Dr. Paul Stubbs arrives on the Enterprise to conduct a crucial astrophysics experiment on a star that explodes once every 196 years. As the experiment is about to commence, a number of mysterious malfunctions occur all over the ship. Meanwhile, Dr. Crusher has returned to the Enterprise and is having a difficult time with Wesley and seeks out Captain Picard for advice. The computer continues to go haywire, which is leaving Dr. Stubbs very nervous about the completion of his experiment. Jordy tracks down what is causing the computer problems, which leads Wesley running to the science lab to discover that some nanites have escaped. The crew again attempts to complete Dr. Stubbs' experiment, and again, the computer malfunctions, putting the mission in jeopardy. Wesley confirms that his escaped nanites are behind the malfunctions, and Dr. Stubbs lobbies to eradicate them in order to complete his work. He kills a number of them in the computer core, and the nanites retaliate by electrocuting Stubbs in his quarters. Data is able to establish communication with the nanites, and after a truce is reached, the nanites help repair the ship in time for Stubbs to complete his experiment and lifelong work. 
as usual, uh, let's start by uh, just giving a quick overall impression of the episode. Uh, Andrew, what did you think? I think I liked it. I think that there's lots of good parts here. I think that in terms of Wesley episodes, this is one of the better ones. Um, it's not quite as you know powerful as some of the later episodes where he kind of gets himself into some big trouble and kind of belly bumps with Picard. But I think that this is kind of going beyond season one to whiny Wesley, which I really liked. And I liked that... Uh, yeah, I liked lots of parts of it. I think that the relationship stuff between... Beverly and Wesley was kind of interesting, and I thought the Doctor kind of was interesting. I thought there was lots of interesting little pieces. What about yourself? Even though I, I remembered a lot about it, I, I, I found it was really just kind of meh of an episode. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it, I didn't really find it all that good either. Um, the, the Nanite part, I think that's really what stuck out to me most with, about this, and I did like that part of the episode, and I thought it was kind of cool that they had these little tiny like microscopic machines that evolved over the course of the episode but but uh, other than that I thought it was really kind of that um you know there were some some of the Wesley and Stubbs scenes were kind of okay but like otherwise I didn't and that and the nanites I didn't really find anything else really memorable about it okay fair enough I think that that's kind of uh I think it's a fair point, especially considering that this actually is season three premiere. You'd expect it to be a bit more exciting, a bit more hard hitting, and it kind of ends up being yeah, just kind of like a run of the mill episode for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, now, do you remember the first time you ever saw this, or any? Uh... So interestingly enough, I kind of remember. I remembered aspects of it. I kind of like the. The one smaller star kind of sucking the stuff from the bigger star I remembered. I remembered the egg thing. Um, I had a general sense about kind of, yeah, Wesley messing up and this guy's project getting messed up. Uh, but yeah, just not really, to be honest. Like I said, it's kind of just a, just an episode and there are little member, you know, memorable pieces to it. But I not I didn't really remember my first time I saw it, no. I can't really pinpoint the first time I saw it. I mean, it probably was during the reruns. Like, when season six and seven first aired, they showed reruns fairly frequently on, on TV. So I imagine it would have been around that time. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know why so much of this stuck out. I think it's probably just because I've seen the episode probably seven or eight times. Right. So... Um, the Nanites, I will, I definitely remember for sure. Um, and I, I don't know where the name Stubbs came from, like I said earlier. You know, that's, it's impressive. That's, that's deep in the memory banks. Um, now, this is the season three premiere, as you mentioned. Um, there wasn't, I, I feel like this wasn't really sort of a standout premiere episode. It was just, you know, the next one on the docket. Kind of. But you know what? You have to remember that this kind of predates Best of Both Worlds. That's and right, that was yeah. kind of the first one that broke the mold of the series. The season finale was a cliffhanger, and then you come back the next year, the next time to uh, find out what had happened. They, that was, I mean, that predated a lot of TV shows kind of doing that. I mean, there was Who Shot Jr. and all that kind of stuff, but mm. um, yeah, for Star Trek, it, it wasn't like even when you go back to the original series, the last episode of a season is just the last episode and the first one is the first one so it's kind of before that became such a trope wasn't the last episode before the shades of gray it is yeah exactly <laughs> one of the worst episodes of star trek ever it feels different though doesn't it yeah i i tend to agree i mean the first the first two seasons were not very good and they you're right they sort of had a different feel i don't know if maybe they got rid of some writers or something but yeah you're, you're right that there's definitely sort of a shift of some sort between seasons two and three i think it looks better as well like i said that binary star system definitely stuck out to me and i i realized i was watching kind of the updated versions of it but you have to admit it looks really good yeah speaking of looks so now this is the first episode with the new title card i only are a big fan of the title cards and never never skip them no, I don't skip them on Netflix when I watch it um, or Crave or whatever thing I happen to be watching it on. But yeah, um, I, yeah I like the title, title cards a lot. And uh, I mean, yeah, you kind of forget that they're different until you you know start bouncing around like this and looking at different episodes. Um, yeah, Next Generation title sequence is 
so legendary. Yeah, this episode in general looks really good. Um, and uh, as well, the title, the new title card, two thumbs up for me. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, let's uh, get into a bit of uh, the background and sort of development uh, info on uh, this episode. Now, the the original plot um, was really bad. At least I think it was really bad. So they originally had this idea of um, a big herd of dust mites somehow gaining yeah. sentience and then flying around the ship in like tiny little like aircraft and wreaking havoc. I feel like that would be really bad. So I, I tend to kind of agree with you other than the fact that, uh, do you remember the episode Tiny Ship from Deep Space Nine? Yes. It's like season six, season seven, where uh, I think it's a shuttlecraft, but maybe it might be the Defiant, gets shrunk down into a little tiny ship. And there's a lot of scenes where it's like flying and landing on something. And it's kind of like who shrunk the, or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Kind of starship. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know what? That episode kind of works. And I mean, that's years from now. So the the visuals and everything like that are, really do look good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm as quick to to say that it wouldn't work just because I actually really do like Tiny Ship. I feel like that's more like season one than season three. That idea. <laughs> the idea? Yeah. It's definitely a big idea. Now this uh, this was an episode that um, they sort of they saw as a real opportunity to show some growth and development of Wesley. Um, like, do you think Wesley ever sort of got past that like his kid tortured like that genius child kind of uh, thing? Like, do you think over the course of the series they ever sort of got past that? Not including like when he goes off with the traveler and becomes kind of like a like a deep. Um... I would like, say like up to that point. Up I mean, that to was that one point? of the last episodes of the series when he when he took off with the traveler. Yeah, second to last, maybe. It was pretty close. It was yeah. like within the last five or six. Right. Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, this is something they've gone to a bunch of times. You know, it's time for him to grow up. I feel like they did it when he went to Starfleet Academy, and then there was like the training exercise that went awry, and you know, Picard had to dress him down. And I feel like there's lots of situations where you feel like, you know, Wesley's going to be different now. Like he's going to really grow up. He's really going to change. He's going to grow as a character. And I think that he does over the course of the series. It's just never as like defined as it would be if it was a show today. Like if you compare Wesley to somebody like Nog, Nog at the beginning of Deep Space Nine is just a complete like rascal and he can't read and he doesn't, you know, I mean, he's a very annoying character. Um, and then by the end of the series, like he's become a, you know, an officer and he's like a useful member of the team and he's like very grown up, very mature. And that is a really good character arc. Wesley, we don't get anything that good. I mean, like you said, there are instances where we see like glimpses of something more than just the really smart whiz kid. Um, but I think really by the time he leaves with the traveler near the end of the series, he's still pretty much, he's still very much just like this, you know, gifted child genius. Beverly even kind of calls it out in the episode, in this episode where she kind of says like, he's kind of boring. He just does like homework and, uh, you know, reads textbooks and then like goes and drives the ship. Like he's not like being the whiz kid, being the gifted person. It's not super interesting. And then sometimes it's kind of lazy in terms of like uh, using it as a crutch to get out of problems. Yeah. I feel like it would almost be more interesting if he was a whiz kid, but he was so bored by being in, being on the starship that like he got into trouble and he became like a bad boy and he was into like all kinds of uh, you know nefarious things and it was so non Starfleet, but it was because you know it's below him and he's so intelligent that uh, you know he's bored all the time. That would be more interesting to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it would have been nice to see something a little more, but. Um... That's 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 Wesley, I guess. Um, now there are a few baseball references in this episode, and um, just quickly here, um, Michael Pillar, I guess, is a big baseball fan, and so he sort of worked those into this episode, and um, it actually ended up working out for him because uh, Rick Berman, who was sort of running the show at the time with Gene Roddenberry, was also a big baseball fan, and so that sort of helped Michael Pillar become the head writer. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Who you know, not what you know. Yeah. Or what you know, not who you know in this case. Yeah. No, it's baseball. 
Now, do you like did you like the baseball references here? Do you think they were kind of out of place? Well, I'm a big baseball fan, so that means that I obviously liked it. I also really like the baseball stuff in Deep Space Nine. Uh, Take Me Out to the Holodeck is one of my favorite Deep Space Nine episodes. Um, now, that's actual baseball. Uh, but even when they went to the Hollow Suites and watched it or talked about it or anything like that, I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think this may be the first instance where they actually mention that baseball uh, is no longer played in... Uh, like on Earth or anywhere, I guess, by the yep. sounds of it. Yeah, I think um, you are correct, yep. And it's interesting that they mention that, like, people just get so bored of it and people get so tired of it because, um, you know, other things came along that were more exciting because you're actually seeing that with Major League Baseball now. They're trying to shorten the games, make it more exciting, get people interested because with all the advent of social media and phones and everything, people are just kind of bored of it and it's kind of going by the wayside um i think that was good i don't know if i really necessarily agree with like the the connection so the guy does he's so smart that he doesn't need to watch the games he just analyzes the statistics and then he'll just lay like in his sofa or like on his lazy boy and he just envisions the games happening like through the statistical uh probabilities of those things kind of going through what about you? Did you like the baseball stuff? I know you're a baseball fan too. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was appropriate here because it was kind of um, he was, Stubbs like sort of equated baseball with patience, right? Because baseball is a very slow game, and and I think it's sort of relevant considering the nature of his research and this experiment that they were doing. That you know, once every is what chance once every 196 years. So mm-hmm. I think it was kind of a relevant, um, almost metaphor um, for it. And I kind of think that it was funny how they mentioned that baseball was like was no longer played because I think it was almost like an offhanded remark that like oh people didn't have the attention span for it, but it's actually turning out to be pretty pretty accurate. Yeah, kind of seeing the beginning of that now, how people are kind of like oh baseball the games are too long and it's too slow and and I don't want to waste my time watching it when there's other things I could be doing. True. And is this the beginning or is this the end? Because maybe they were seeing the beginning of it back then and that's why they made that reference and now we're kind of seeing the end of it. Like we're seeing the the actual reality, right? Like they would have had, you know, cheapy cell phones and TV and music on the, on the, you know, music on the TV and all that kind of stuff. And so they were maybe seeing that our attention spans were shrinking and now they are essentially gone. I almost feel like it was just like an offhanded, like, social comment that actually was turning out to be pretty correct. Yeah, no, which is good on them, right? I I think that's kind of the best sci-fi when they see that and they have that happen. All right, let's uh, jump into the plot here. Um, Now, we start with Wesley uh, asleep in the science lab, and I guess he forgot to set his alarm because uh, Commander Riker wakes him up because he's late. Uh, then he w- he gets to the bridge and he's walking to the to the con and Riker does this like weird point as he's like crossing the bridge. Did you did you catch that? Like what did, did you notice that? So there's a couple things about this. First off, um, yeah, so he's sleeping, but there's like an effort to make it seem very high school. There's the molecular model kits, and I think there's, like, an old, like, food thing that's sitting there empty. There's, like, the little computer, and, like, I feel like this is supposed to be, you know, like, Saved by the Bell kind of thing. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning and your mom screams out a warning, like, you're never going to make it on time. Like, that's what this feels like. It's our first and, Saved by the Bell reference. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like, yeah, Riker phoning him up and, you know, getting him to come to the bridge because he's late for his shift um, is is kind of like the, the teacher thing. Um, mm-hmm. And when he walks onto the bridge, yeah, Riker kind of does this weird little point, but it's kind of a sly little smile. Um, and I took it as Wesley is like the kid who has 98% in your class and when he shows up late, it's not because he's at the smoker's pit and it's not because uh, he was up all night partying or something. Like he's up doing homework and he sleeps in past the past his alarm. So you're not going to really ruffle that person's feathers. You know what I mean? Like, And I think that that's all that was. It was just kind of, oh, Wesley, you know, you should be here on time kind of thing. And that's what I took it as. 
Yeah, I would definitely not. I, I don't think Wesley would, you know, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's late for his shifts. But it, I thought it was really weird. Like, just, he had this, like, kind of, like, half grin, half angry look, and he's, like, pointing at him, like, the whole way he's walking to the seat. To yeah. the seat. Like, I don't know, it's was, it was really weird. It's the teacher thing. I, 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 yeah, I could see yeah. a teacher doing that while they, you know, somebody comes in late, kind of pointing at them until they get to their seat. Acknowledge that you're that they're late, but not without agreeing with them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, you know, we both know what's going on here kind of situation. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes some sense. I just It just seemed kind of odd to me when I almost saw it. I was like, what are you doing? Why is he pointing at them? <laughs> but no, the teacher thing makes, makes some sense. So now Stubbs is ready to launch his, his egg, which has all the, like, um, stuff instruments to conduct his experiment um now picard like suggests he do he does one final inspection he totally blows him off just like just launch it i know it's fine and, right. and um so they're about to launch the the this egg thing in the, the shuttle bay and then the ship lurches violently um this is really the further this is our first look at Stubbs, and he like displays a bit of arrogance that i think we see consistently throughout the episode um is it arrogance or is it overconfidence like oh i think it's arrogance you think so oh yes so what's the difference arrogance is just like like if you're over if if you're overconfident i feel like you're just like like he wouldn't blow picard off the way he was if he was overconfident he would be like oh no captain i've done all the necessary inspections he's just like I've been working on this thing for years. Just launch it already. Okay. Right? So I would that that's the distinction I would I would make. Yep. Okay. Um, Good point. Now, do you like this sort of arrogant scientist thing? Because um, I mean, there are other occasions in Star Trek where they have like these really confident, really sort of borderline arrogant scientists. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think of that whole thing? Like, is that realistic? Do we are scientists like that in real life? They aren't now, but also they're not getting the same level of recognition that you would assume they would have at this point, right? Mm-hmm. After scientists have discovered. Uh, interstellar flight and uh, planet uh, terraforming and stuff like that i feel that this would maybe be kind of the natural way that things would go the same way that politicians today have this kind of overbearing confidence this overbearing arrogance to them um i feel like when science becomes predominant then the scientists would then kind of take that uh, same lead and they would have that same uh, bravado or that same confidence that would come with like politicians of today total guess but that's my thinking well it's like athletes too right like, exactly like, yeah. athletes nowadays like they, they, they I, in general i mean not everyone they're not all the same but in general i find that some of them are sort of you know in that arrogance territory because you know they're being paid millions of dollars to do what they do and they're the best in the world at what they do and they, they aren't, aren't afraid to tell you is it a chicken egg situation if they didn't have that kind of arrogance they probably wouldn't have the motivation to do the work and if they didn't do the work they wouldn't be good enough to become a pro athlete mm. so it could be the same situation with scientists at this stage like how many people live in the federation at this point billions is it a, a trillion i don't know i don't think so it'd be too many but you have so many people and it's so competitive so to be the main big scientist in any one field, you would almost need the arrogance in order to get there, perhaps. That is true. Now, the um, the, the ship ends up sort of going into this, like, stellar matter, um, which they see, made it seem like it was a really big deal, and then they hit it, and it, nothing really happened, which is kind of odd. Um, well, they did get the shields up, though, in time. Yeah, I guess that. But, um, you know, the, these malfunctions happen, but the computer doesn't recognize that there are any malfunctions. Um, now, did you suspect that something was amiss here or that it was just, like, bad luck? So, I'm not going to lie. When they kept talking about the egg, I was thinking that this was an episode where the egg was going to go into the planet, or like, the stream of matter, going from one star to the other, and that it was actually going to hatch and create like a creature i think there's an episode where they run into a giant space slug or worm or something Mm -hmm. like that and for some reason i think i started getting like twisted it took me up until when the computer started malfunctioning to make me realize 
that's not this episode. This is the, the egg is just instruments and mm-hmm. things to measure. It's kind of like a probe kind of thing. There's a couple of really interesting things, and one of them is that uh, data says that it's been 79 years since there's been any kind of computer glitch on a starship. Like there's backups upon backups upon backups, so that this should technically never happen. But then it does. <laughs> I feel like it does in other episodes too. Well, that's what I that's that's what I was gonna kind of say. Like some like this, there are malfunctions in other episodes. So I mean, but the main computer like not recognizing something. I don't yeah, know if that happens that frequently. Yeah, that's that's where it's kind of like, oh, this could be trouble. Well, in Star Trek, right? It could be an alternate universe. It could be a holodeck simulation. It could be you know somebody's mind. It could be a whole slew of things. Yeah. So now Stubbs, like he kind of like when the ship was kind of lurching about, he kind of got flung across the room and he ended up in sickbay. And so he has this like conversation with Doctor Crusher about Wesley while she's like treating him and, and talks about how you know he almost kind of sees himself in Wesley, like the greatness and the the brilliant mind. Um, you know, what, what what did you think about that uh, little? conversation so while they're having that conversation i kind of snapped back into where we are for next generation and i started to recognize this is gates mcfadden's big return and so they are going way out of their way to get her on screen and to make sure that everybody remembers like who she is what her situation is there's even that you mentioned already but there's that scene where they go uh, she goes in to talk to captain picard and calls him Jean-Luc and they established that that was kind of, you know, that they're, they were friends and things. She mentions that she was at Starfleet Medical for the year and everything like that. So that was kind of what I was thinking. And I was also thinking, okay, so there's definitely going to be kind of a Beverly Wesley reconnection here, or there's going to be some piece to it because they really have to bring her back into the fold and hit the ground running because, you know, most, some people were probably thinking, where's Dr. Pulaski? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I feel like there was a lot of sick bay in this episode that maybe didn't need to be there. Well, and I think that's the reason, that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right, yeah. They needed to get Dr. Crusher sort of back into the, the swing of things here, and they, you know, there was definitely an effort uh, made to do that in this, uh, this episode. So um, now the computer malfunctions uh, continue. It sort of cuts to the scene on the bridge where, like, everyone's going nuts because the sensors show the approach of a Borg vessel. Right, yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it was kind of. A, I thought that was kind of a, a cool little um, bit of uh, jolt of uh, potential excitement that turned out to be nothing. But I mean, that's that's one way to like get people to wake up. It's like, oh, here comes a Borg ship. True, and actually, you know what? <laughs> speaking of that, it, I think that I, I'm sure it shows up in other situations. But um, when it first arrives and they go to red alert, Wesley and the Doctor are actually in the cargo bay looking at the egg. He's checking some of the plating and everything like that. And then Red Alert gets called. And Wesley says something that I don't know if I really knew slash has really thought about. But when Red Alert gets called, non-essential staff are to go to their quarters straight away. Did you pick up on that? Now that you mention it, yeah, I do remember that. And did you know that that's what you're supposed to do? No, I no, I didn't. No, yeah, I so it's kind of, it was interesting to see Red Alert get called, not on the bridge. Um, and then, yeah, the Borg thing was just kind of a nice little, especially knowing what we know now, it's a nice little tie-in from Q-Hu, yeah, and yeah. what's eventually going to come at the end of this season. So, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. It definitely, definitely put a smile on my face. Yeah, yeah, well, and Worf was like 100% convinced that the sensors were not malfunctioning, though they, they wouldn't come up on the view screen. True. Do you think it would have been better as like a Romulan ship or a Klingon vessel who has cloaking capabilities? Or they might have been more believable. Yeah, but then it wouldn't show how much sensors. Yeah, yeah. It was, so. it was kind of way. a funny little little bit of computer uh, malfunctioning uh, goodness. Uh, now, Jordy, Jordy finds the problem. He's like working in engineering. He finds the problem with the computer, and then Wesley, I guess, sort of comes to this realization and he ends up like running off to the science lab and then later on he's like crawling around on 10 forward on the floor and 10 forward like looking through this like instrument thing and Diamond's like what are you doing here what are you doing like why are you crawling around on the floor and then we we find out that uh these escaped nanites are the reason that the, the computer is malfunctioning and this is sort of the first 
uh, look at the, the nanites. Um, now, what do you, how did you feel about the, the nanites? Uh, like the, just the, the general concept and how, maybe how they were used in the episode. So the nanites to me are, there's that episode of The Simpsons, the Halloween horror, where Lisa puts her fallen out tooth in the Buzz Cola and the whole little civilization evolves overnight <laughs> and she becomes the queen of the the, the whatever the tooth people and they have all the little houses that are made of they look like teeth and they make an idol of her and then bart becomes the you know he's the the evil one and everything so that i couldn't help but that like the fast evolution i made me wonder if that's where they got the idea from um the nanites are so similar to the exocomps and so similar to a lot of other little things that they have done in the past i would be more inclined to like these things if they were something that was always around. Um, we've heard this, things that they put into people's blood and they go in and clean it and it's like for one episode and that's it, right? Or these ones, they go in and they're gone and that's it, it's done. Um, and I, yeah, so that part of it seems a little bit, yeah, like a, a little bit souring. But other than that, I think it's they're kind of a neat idea. They're supposed to be just for simple tasks, right? Yeah, and then they then, then like, <clears throat> what happened? Well, they were used for like medical uh, procedures, I think. Oh yeah, maybe that's what I'm getting. Yeah, at, and yeah. then and then Wesley thought of like oh for his like science high school science experiment he'll like pair two of them together to see if it'll make them more efficient and, and right. in the course of studying them they escape and they improve themselves through like they improve their design and start replicating themselves and then it's just like they're they're running amok. Uh, yeah and then they get into the computer system which means they can grow twice as fast they have the resources all that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. no it was a good idea i liked it yeah i, I also uh, like i mean this was really the one part of the episode that i really liked and also really uh, sort of left an impression on yet i think it's kind of a cool idea of having these like little tiny like microscopic machines that can do things and then they evolve into sentient life forms so i thought it was a right i mean although you would maybe argue that if this is the case then why doesn't it just happen all the time because they don't have wesley crusher to, like, <laughs> to pair them up and put them yeah. in the same coffee can <laughs> exactly exactly i do love i do love guinan period but i also love the guinan scene here uh i think that it's implied that they're still under red alert or that they are maybe in yellow alert or something because uh, she kind of talks like Wesley shouldn't be out and he kind of says that she shouldn't be out, although she kind of just, you know, well, I just do what I want kind of situation. I, I never like getting cooped up. Uh, but yeah, there's some great kind of dialogue here about Dr. Frankenstein and, you know, she's got that great one-liner at the end when... You know, he says, I'm probably good an A. I always do. And she says, so did Dr. Frankenstein. Like, <laughs> I, I love this whole, you know, she's always got the perfect thing to say. And she's so wise and so sage. And That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Guinan's a very, very good, memorable uh, character. Hey, Andrew here. And I just wanted to say thanks for listening to Random Trek Review. Uh, if you want to get some more star trek goodness then make sure to check out the rtr blog at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com you can also find us on social media itunes by searching for random trek review twitter for by searching at rando trek review and instagram at random trek review or if you just want to use the old style way of emailing questions comments or just gripes in general then feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com all right, continuing on here. Um, now, now everything seems to kind of be back to normal. Um, they go to launch the egg again. Wait, and... you're missing one little important piece. Oh, what's that? So how did they get it go back to normal? That's a good question. I don't remember. They do a manual reset of the entire starship. That Riker. sounds very oh. intense. <laughs> it sounds like the classic, remember the old rollerball kind of computers, turn it off and turn it back on. Yeah. It definitely seems like that, you know, okay, the computer's not working right, so let's turn the ship off and then we'll turn it right back on. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. I feel like in the computer core, there's like probably like just like a giant on-off switch. Right, with like the O and the I. And you just and like... Just like pull the crank or whatever, and everything turns off. <laughs> <laughs> or 
like on Jurassic Park, remember? Where they yeah, exactly. Shut down the and then turn them all back on again. That's exactly That's it. That's probably what it was. Yeah, the classic <laughs> turn it off, turn it back on. So it seemingly, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, it seemingly like it worked perfectly until... And then and then Stars and Stripes Forever starts blaring on the, on the bridge and... Uh, Card was not too uh, happy about that. Yeah, apparently he's not a big fan of band music. <laughs> Data goes on this like, it stars and strikes forever, composed by, and they're like, oh yes, we understand, Mister Data. <laughs> yeah, so the, I mean, Stubbs at this point, he's like starting to really freak out. Like he's really worried about like, oh the, the you know my you guys must uh, do my experiment. You know I'm not going to get another chance for 196 years, and uh, this, this is where we get to see him kind of start to get a little antsy about it and he really is you know fix your darn ship captain like what's wrong with you you know and um i mean again this is kind of we're seeing i don't know if maybe arrogance is right the right word here but he's just like really obsessive about his work i mean i guess he only gets one chance every 196 years I guess. yeah so that's kind of interesting too to me because it is it's not like he's going to live for another 160 years or 196 years so no, probably not this so he should really be saying this is the only chance that he has to see it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like if he doesn't get all of this information, then the back half of his career is he's gonna have nothing to analyze. He's, he'll be back to like you know square one. Yeah, exactly. He'll have to come <laughs> up with a, he'll have to find another binary star system that's doing this exact thing. But um, and yeah, it was interesting to me too. So um, when he was twenty and he was doing his PhD and all this kind of stuff, I guess he must have found out about this star system that was going to, you know, go through this thing in like 30 years or something. Like, is that what must have happened? I suppose. Uh, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he found out about it and then he just spent his whole life working up to it. So yeah, like if he misses it, this is it. It's done. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now that leads to, um, there's a scene, uh, I believe it was in this, the, the high school science lab. Yep. <laughs> Um, Wesley, Dr. Crusher comes to see Wesley and they end up having this like, you know, pretty deep sort of mother-son chat and that's, you know, Dr. Crusher's ta- trying to like, you know, trying to sort of get reintegrated with her son's life and he's kind of distant and he doesn't really seem too interested and he's all defensive like, oh, you don't know what's going on. You haven't even been here for the last year, right? So, well, yeah, I mean, she's, she said exactly what I said is that he's a nerd. Fun. He's not having any fun. He's not going out and doing, you know, teenager things. And she has, like, some concern about it. And she even kind of mentions that their whole relationship has just become very formal, almost. Like, not really mother-son-like. It's just kind of... They chat and things like that, but it's never really deep. So she tries to go and make amends on that. And uh, he kind of gives up that, yeah, maybe these nanites are the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she, and she like, wants to help him. Um, like, you know, get through this because, uh, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, why didn't he bring this up as a potential thing right off the bat, though? Well, I think, um, you know, I think he just was afraid of what would happen. You know, yeah. people getting upset with him or, or, you know, oh, you're now borrowed from the science lab. You can't be trusted. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, and then he runs into this exact same problem later with the, uh, remember at the Cadet Academy where the... Mm-hmm. There's the accident and he hides it, right? Like, I mean, yep. was there a section on the rubric that said that, you know, if your project destroys the ship, like, you get marks <laughs> deducted or something? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like he should have said something earlier. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, he's a teenager and they don't always... Teenagers don't always act rationally, so... That's true. One thing I must say, I'm just... I think it's as good a time as now to mention it as any other time, but I do like the low stakes. If they don't kind of fix the ship then the guy's not going to do his project. It's pretty low stakes. And I think that that was a kind of a nice, refreshing change myself. Did you think that? Or do you wish that it was, they had to solve it before the nanites take over the whole ship and blow it up? Uh, I felt like it was pretty low stakes too. Because I mean, the, the, the malfunctions were like kind of annoying, but they weren't really, it's not like, oh, life support is uh, not functioning. Right. right? And they could have like... gotten rid of them with that uh, pulse if they really needed to. Yeah, like it was it was just like little inconveniences, like the music blaring on the bridge. Like, yeah, it's really annoying, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not threatening the ship. Like the replica, that, where there's that one part in sickbay where 
Um, I think like Dr. Crusher, one of the nurses, like went to get a glass of water and the, the, the glass appears and the water just keeps like overflowing. Right, yeah. It's like, is that really a big deal? Well, it's kind of annoying. But yeah, it's, but it's not, it's not the high stakes that you typically see per episode. Yeah, it's not like the nanites were like, oh, let's go play with the uh, the antimatter and the warp core. Right. Yeah, it's not like Tom Rock with like his finger on the uh, the missile button for an entire episode. <laughs> Tom Rock, no. Tom Lock. Tom Lock, thank you. The Romulan, yes. Yeah. Tom Lock, who appears in like you know every, every other episode of season two. <laughs> not this one. But not this one. Yeah, so, um, you know, the crew, Wesley finally, like, comes clean, and they discover that, like, these nanites that he was working on for his school project have escaped, and um, they sort of, you know, they develop the ability to improve their design and replicate themselves, and eventually they evolve and, you know, basically develop sentience, um, and that leads to, you know, and, and Stubbs sort of is in the in that that conversation where they're talking about it. He's like, "Oh, just exterminate them." Uh, you know, you know the crew, of course, is sort of second second guesses and says, "Well, wait a minute. Like, what if what if these are life forms? Like, you know, we shouldn't just be you know going around killing them." And um, you know, Stubbs takes it upon himself at one point in the computer court and just like take the like whatever what the pulse delta waves or something pulse. I can't yeah, remember. I don't remember exactly what it was called either. The gamma bursts. Or the gamma bursts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he just like takes it. You know, they're just like in the computer call, like, oh, let's see what we can if you can communicate with them. And he's just like, nope. Pulls out the thing and just like fires it into the core and kills a whole bunch of them. And then they retaliate first. They like they like pump that weird like toxic gas into the bridge. Yeah, the smoke. Yeah, the, the, stuff, the yeah. smoke machines getting a, getting a workout in the Paramount lot that week, and, <laughs> um, and then he's like full out attacked at one point, like he's like laying in his quarters, and then yeah, he gets kind of the Emperor Palpatine lightning blast from like the TV, <laughs> it's Poltergeist or something. I don't. I think that they could have. He should have went to like a replicator or something and gotten zapped, zapped because. Or like a phaser appears in the replicator, like shoots him. Be something, but not <laughs> like electric electricity out of the like ten feet away. That was I didn't love that scene, but yeah. But now again, this is like Stubbs sort of being overbearing and 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 like just being so like focused on his work. He just doesn't even give it a second thought of like you know just exterminating all these annoying little nanites that are causing all the problems. I mean, again, like do do you like? I mean, we're sort of here again at this, like, overbearing scientist. I mean, is that something... That he's you... Starfleet, or he's not Starfleet, right? He's just a civilian. So, I mean, it, it's kind of... Imagine a situation where you had a, you know, bacterial infection and you weren't feeling very well and you went to the doctor and said, you know, give me some antibacterial uh, medicine. And they said, well, bacteria is a living thing. You know, like they have just as much a right to live as you. And you're like, well, I'm inconvenienced. Like, I really am not feeling well, you know. Um, so, I mean, you'd be like, no, just get rid of them. Kill them. Like, I don't want them here anymore. Like, I don't have other things I want to be doing. So that part of it, I kind of agree with. Um, and that's kind of one of the, the classic Star Trek debates, right? Is, you know, which, like, wh where do you draw the line, right? If you're going to be all life. That's really tough to do because life doesn't really exist without kind of the death of other things. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of a classic Star Trek, uh, you know, thing. Like, um, I mean, even with machines, I mean, they mm -hmm. mentioned the episode with the exocomps where they're, they, there's like this huge debate over like, you know, can we send, because, like, you know, they basically, had, in order to save the captain in that episode, they basically would have had to send them to their deaths. Mm -hmm. And the, the the doctor that created them was like, ah, we'll just build more of them. And then Data's like, well, no, you can't do that. They might be living things. And, right. Data you know, himself, right? Yeah. Measure of a man. He, he, they were going to just decommission him because they wanted to learn more about it. So I guess I kind of have to backtrack just a little bit now. There's that scene where Troy goes to see Stubbs and like, what was the point of that? So the point of that is I think that... Uh, Back in this era, they must have really listened to fans. And I feel like maybe somebody wrote in and said, you know what, Counselor Troy is supposed to be the head counselor. And so she really should be doing some counseling uh, whenever there's a situation that calls for it. And so she gets this concern. And so she kind of preemptively goes in and checks on him. And I think it was literally just to kind of check that box. 
but force she them to like do it. She like she like points out all the flaws in his character and then leaves. <laughs> oh yeah, nobody said she was good at being a counselor, but she went and did the thing. Uh, one thing I don't really get, and correct me if I'm wrong, the little thing with the egg does it have its own engine? I have no idea. Because if it has its own engine then can't you just go and get four guys to grab it at each corner and just throw it out of the ship? <laughs> just push it? Just get a forklift <laughs> and just drive it out into space. And then once it's in space, then it will just drive itself to the to the location. Like just push it out like if you like push your, you know, you drive your car in the ditch. Yeah, like a Coke machine. You get like your five buddies and yeah. push it out of the space. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe put some of those like rollers down like you're moving a fridge. <laughs> Like, didn't you think that? Like, you literally need to get this ship out of another ship. It was Just, a little odd that they had to, like, go through this whole The thing. whole ship had to be running in order to get it out. They had to go through this whole process of, like, launching it. Yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah. It wasn't like it was in a torpedo tube or anything. It was just its own little device. Well, yeah, so it sort of comes to, a, I guess, the sort of the climax of the episode. Is they, they think Dave is able to figure out a way to communicate with them and the nanites, um... In, they like enter his body. That was kind of a in, that was kind of a, a bad idea. A bad, bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was different, I guess, than maybe what you would have expected. Um, and they sort of come to an agreement to this is like classic like diplomatic Picard, right? Yeah. Coming to a you know coming to an agreement to give them a, a home, and um, you know that was kind of a, that was an interest probably one of the more I think that was like the most memorable scene for me in the the, the episode. Data speaking in his weird nanite voice with, with Captain Picard yeah. and Stubbs being all apologetic and yeah he kind of falls on the sword really, really quickly doesn't he he turned uh, coat pretty quickly yes. yeah yeah he turned face real fast do you do things that evolve especially in early evolution isn't kind of part of evolution the fact that you know typically the aggressive species will be the ones that do the best. Theoretically, yeah. Right? I, I kind of feel like in another episode, another time, this would have been, you know, the nanites would would use this uh, in the, the this opportunity to be in data to turn aggressive or turn evil because that's kind of the fastest way to, um, to succeed in terms of evolution, like survival of the fittest. The whole idea of diplomacy and stuff like that, that's after you have sentient and you, you've kind of gotten yourself to a point where You've removed hunger, you've removed uh, suffering, you've removed homelessness and all that kind of stuff. And then you get to a point where you can have these big debates and discussions and stuff. So that was one that maybe it's kind of a bit of a, it's not really for this episode, but I did think of that. Well, there are machines. So True. I mean, I mean, the evolution process was really very, fast, very right? accelerated greatly compared to, you know, biological Things. life forms. So they may have like reached that level of intelligence. Okay, yeah, good point. point. So yep. Okay, I that's a good think, point. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I mean, you know, it's a it's a relevant point, you know, but I I don't think it's a huge stretch to think that they would have you know evolved to a point where they would be able to engage in diplomacy. Okay, so, yeah, you convinced me. Yeah. So then, and you know, everything sort of works out in the end. The nanites they come to an agreement. They even say, "Oh, you know what? Well, we screwed up your ship, so we're gonna help you fix it in time." For, you know, <laughs> Stubbs to do his experiment, which I thought was kind of a, I thought that was kind of a nice little gesture yes, yeah. to make you know to have Stubbs kind of uh, see his experiment through to the end. And then there's sort of that last scene in Ten Forward where um, you know Crusher's talking about raising kids with Guinan and. Um, what was it that that Crusher like? Crusher like asked her how many kids she had, and she's like, "A lot." Like it's kind of yeah. very ambiguous. Which right. I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, it was great. And she <laughs> asked like kind of how the relationships were. And she had like another species child that she didn't really communicate with very well, and everything. Like that yeah, that, again, Guinan is great. Yeah. Yeah, Guinan is great. Yeah, and then and then you know Wesley walks in, and there's kind of that little funny little um, that fun. It was kind of funny that very like. Part of the very end where Dr. Crusher's like, oh, no, this is good for him. He should be hanging out with his friends right. and hanging out with a pretty girl. And then she likes her stuff. And she's like, so what do you know about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. I mean, that's kind of, I would prefer to see a bit more of that. Um, yeah, I, li I liked that. And I thought that that was a great, um, like a classic, great little capper for the episode, right? It's like a classic mom line, right? You definitely. Know, you see your definitely. teenage son with some girl that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you ask the bartender, what do you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. A great finisher for sure. 
on to the uh, the casting characters. It's kind of a this will be a bit of a quick section this week because there's really only two guest stars on those uh, Stubbs and Guinan. So um, we've talked a little bit about Stubbs um, and sort of his arrogance and kind of his overconfidence. Um, I mean, what did you think overall of the the, the character? I mean, he's just uh, he's like a one off. We never see him again. Um, yeah, we see his archetype right or his prototype in other in other episodes yeah he's serviceable he was kind of interesting he has a couple of interesting lines and he's got enough character i mean you don't have a whole ton of time to really mark your place in the sand i thought he did a pretty good job how about you i think he was okay for like what he was um i I found he was just a little bit i think i found it was a little bit much um, the, the scene when he's like sort of lobbying for just like blindly obliterating the nanites, I think that was sort of a little much for me. But um, yeah, I kind of saw it as like panic setting in when there was hours and hours to go. He was cool and calm, and as time was kind of slipping away, he was getting more and more panicked. Yeah, and that was yeah a bit of a stretch. Now this is the first time on RTR that we've done an episode that features uh, Guinan. Uh, which is a great character. We've already talked a little bit about Guinan, but um, what what do you have? What anything uh, sort of general that you want to go over with? Uh, yeah, I love Guinan. I think that for a character that only shows up periodically and has a pretty big part in the uh, in generations, um, I think that you get a really good kind of idea of what this person is about, um, where they're from. Like, you you only ever get kind of, like, little bits and pieces. It's almost as, imagine, uh, like, an autobiography that, like, uh, you know, you only have certain chapters of it. And they do such a good job of kind of, like, even like you mentioned with the kids. Do you have any kids? Yeah, a lot. It's, it's ambiguous, right? You don't know exactly what happened. Same thing when you learn that the Borg kind of destroyed her planet and they spread out across the galaxy. You learn little bits and pieces, and you you know that it's a really deep character, but you don't... It's not like they just sit down and explain it to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is such a good job with this particular character. And, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is an Oscar-winning actress at this point, right? So, um, I think that, yeah, she plays it perfectly. I think that she is better developed than even somebody like Jordy, if you think about it. Like, in terms of, like, how much you get from her, even though um, she's not in a ton of episodes. Yeah, I think she's great. What about you? Yeah, Guinan's, um, you know, it's she's a character that you almost kind of take for granted. Yep, um, definitely. Until you really stop and think about, like, just how... She's in quite a few episodes. Like, I feel like she's probably guest starred more Next Generation episodes than anyone else. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, um... Like they, they just they get there. There's enough of her that there's a lot of substance, but it's not like you're you're bombarded with it. And um, I, I also like that there's sort of that like um, I don't want to say enig- enigma because I don't think that that's quite. But there's like this the mystique about her because like they give you a, like a little bit, but not enough a lot of specifics. You know, it's um, but uh, yeah, I thought they did a very good job with Guy, and I think it's a great character and. Um, I think it's kind of a funny thing that like Whoopi Goldberg sort of like shoehorned her way onto the show because she just loved Star Trek so much, loved the show so much, and she's just like, yeah, I want to be on that show, and then they just like made it happen. I think that's kind of a cool story. And again, like I said, she had the credentials. If you know somebody of that kind of ilk shows up and says, I want to be on the show as a guest star, then like you're on the show, right? And I think that. Star Trek is pretty good for this. There's a lot of instances, actually, of relatively famous people saying, hey, you know what, I want to be on this, and then they are, right? I think I remember reading sometime that, like, the King of Jordan or something like that just was, like, an ensign in the background of a Voyager <laughs> episode or something. Like, they just decided, I want to be on it, and they did. So, um, yeah, I think that that's really great. Now, uh, we'll move on to some uh, just some production notes here, some interesting little... Uh... Factoids. Um, this is the first time we see the new uniforms with the um, the high collar. Um, I personally, I think these are like the best uniforms. Period. Across all the different episodes, all the different uh, things. Yes. Okay. I, I and I may be a little biased because, like, you know, I was a TNG fan first, 
And, I mean, these are way better than the first season uniforms. I think that's a reasonable... Yeah, I think that some of the characters in the background are still wearing the, the jumpsuits. I think they only got the, uh, the the really nice ones for the main cast. Uh, yes. It's right there. I'm always, I've always been a big fan of the gray shouldered uh ones from first contact yep I remember uh, too. Yep. but yeah this would be right there i mean it's definitely one or one a for sure um and this is kind of the most memorable look right i feel like they have like a really deep dark you know color to them and yeah it does it looks really strange in generations when they start wearing the deep space nine gray shirts underneath it just looks wrong yes. these, these ones look like TNG and I feel like the difference between season two and season three a big part of why it looks so much better is probably because of the uniforms yeah they're really I really I think they're really I think they're like they're they're sharp and they're you know they're they're relatively simple but they're not like Deep Space Nine simple yeah I would agree now there's um now the, the scene where Dr. Stubbs is uh, attacked by the nanites he's sort of running through his head this like baseball game um, it was an actual game. It was actually a very famous uh, game. Okay. Um, it was the third and final game of the 1951 National League Championship Series between the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the situation that he's sort of describing out loud as he was, you know, just as the nanites were, like, figuring out how to shoot lightning at him, was actually the situation on the baseball field just before um, the shot heard around the world, which is like a very famous home run. Okay, yeah. I kind of have a kind of like a recollection of that. The shot heard around the world, it was like a, you know, the guy came up and the, I think the, I think it was the Giants who were losing and the guy, like, there was two runners on. I think they were down by like two runs and the guy hits a home run. And it was the shot heard around the world. Yeah, you are correct. Bobby Thompson. Yes. Bobby Thompson, Thompson the game-winning line drive home run. Crazy. Okay, yeah, that's cool. You know, and that's that's the kind of like little stuff, you know, that um, they sneak in there and it just kind of adds a little bit of depth, a little bit of intrigue. Yeah, and it's, it's a nice little sort of um, detail-oriented thing that they actually, like, you know, because he runs through the whole thing. It's like, so-and-so's on second, so-and-so's on right. first, guy's on the mound. Thompson's that's true. It's all, it was all 100% accurate. Right, and it's... It's a famous thing, right? So if you're yeah. a big baseball aficionado, you would know the famous games, not just some random Wednesday night game, right? So that I like that. That's great. Yeah, not like, you know, May 15th, Blue Jays, Royals. <laughs> yeah, 5-1 loss. Where nothing happens. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, now the next little piece, um, so the egg, um, was actually a reuse of um, a viral containment unit from the uh, second season episode, The Child. Um, Is that where Troy has a child? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of generic looking. I didn't, it didn't really yeah. stand out. It was just sort of like, eh, yeah, it's like a big pod thing with stuff in it and cheesy looking smoke. <laughs> they went to the smoke machine. Yeah, yeah it was okay. <laughs> kind of cool. I feel like that happens all the time. They reuse sets and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. But I guess they like wanted to get their money's worth out of the smoke machine. So this thing had like a little smoke coming from the sides right. of it. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then we see the, uh, the computer core, uh, the set for the computer core for the first time. Uh, and a little piece of trivia, it was built on the old movie bridge set. Okay, yeah, I feel like the, you always read that the movie sets they reused and rehashed. And so, I mean, they, they're all about recycling. In mm -hmm. that. But I don't really care that much. I, it doesn't bother me like it would bother me nowadays. For some reason, I don't know why, but I just gave it a pass. Yeah, uh, what did you think of the computer course set? Like, I mean, it's kind of nondescript, I guess. But, it, it, I mean, it does come, they use it a few other times. And uh, I thought it was, like, kind of neat. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, you don't really think of it that often. And they kind of made a point to do the whole data with the nanites in them, like there. Like they, it was like they were showing it off or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was okay. Um, let's uh, move on to some memorable scenes or if there's any good lines. Um, is there anything that like really stuck out to you in the uh, episode? Uh, for me, it's that Guinan scene for sure. If I'm taking my favorite scene, my favorite line is definitely um, 
you know, when she asks him, are you going to get an A? And he goes, I always do. And she says, so did Dr. Frankenstein. It's just a great, just a great line. Guinan is so great. Um, other than that, I mean, there are, yeah, there's some, there's a couple of kind of funny lines. Um, Stubbs kind of says that he wouldn't want to fly through space with his mother. That one was okay. Um, the one that, well, that really sticks out to me was the the scene where in the computer core where where Data was um, overrun by the nanites and and Picard. To me, this is like you know quintessential Picard diplomacy right here. Where you know you know he's very he doesn't mince words, but he's also not like being a jerk about trying to like negotiate with the nanites and um you know that's that's one that kind of sticks out because it's in the computer core which is kind of unusual when data's like talking in that weird nanite voice so um i mean that's the scene that really um will probably always stick out with me in this episode as far as like lines uh i don't know i i guess there the, the, for me the one i guess that i would go with is um you know when picard asks at the very beginning when they're about to launch the egg Picard's like, are you sure you don't want to like inspect it one last time? And he's like, and Doctor Stubbs is like, I've been working on this thing for years, Captain. I've been working on this eggs for egg for years. You may lay it wet when you're ready. <laughs> um, how about uh, let's go on to uh, just a final uh, sum up and uh, give me a rating out of five nanites. Yeah, it's a good episode. It's a kind of a middle of the pack episode for me. I think that there's lots of good pieces. I liked the stuff with Dr. Crusher. I liked the kind of the mystery at the beginning of what was happening. I liked the new outfits and I liked the look and I liked the binary star that sucks from one side to the other and then it blows up. Um, there's lots of little pieces, but I didn't get blown away. I wasn't really super engaged when I watched it through. I just kind of... Yeah, I just kind of had to sit down and watch it. It was kind of reminded me a little bit of um, when you're in high school and you get home and you watch an episode on like Space Channel or something. You just kind of sit and you watch it and it's, yeah, like popcorn, you know, just dissolves in your mouth. I'm going to go with three out of five nanites because I feel like it's not really an upper tier. It's not really horribly bad. It's just an episode. It's kind of right down the middle. And uh, yeah, I liked it. You? I, I really wanted to like this episode, but... Um, uh... I, I think it was, I think I remembered it being better than it was. Um, I just felt like there was a bit too much going on. I mean, a couple weeks, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked, when we were talking about Demon, you you were really going on about how there was like all these good little ideas, but they just didn't put bring enough of them out. Right. And I feel like this kind of was like the same thing. Like, I almost feel like they could have done the episode without Stubbs at all, and it probably would have been good. Like, it would have... You could have sort of focused on like Wesley's feelings as he like you know, his science experiment his kind of spirals out of control, um, or you could have focused strictly on Stubbs and maybe like lose the nanites and just have some other like minor problem crop up with the ship while he's trying to do this yeah. experiment. Um, or Wesley and his mother just has an episode. Yeah, exactly. Like I just feel like they they I feel like they just they had a chance to do two really good episodes and they just sort of ran them into one and it just didn't really take off. So um, I'm going to give this one two nanites out of five. I mean, I, I, the, the nanite idea I really liked and it really stuck out with me, but otherwise I, was, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this one. All right, that's the red alert siren, which means we have, uh, we're just about at the end here and uh, we've gotten to the... Uh, Part of the podcast that I know Andrew uh, enjoys thoroughly, which is when we will choose uh, the next episode. Um, so I'm going to reach into the uh, New York Giants cap of uh, episodes here and pull out an episode. And Andrew will have one minute to tell me what he can about the episode. Okay. Um, okay, so we are back on to Deep Space Nine. Okay, just a second. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. It is from the seventh season. Okay, I actually have seen that relatively free recently. Okay, season seven, episode ten. The episode is called It's Only a Paper Moon. This is such a good episode, man. If you want to play along at home, you can uh, pause the podcast just for a minute here and um, see what you can write down uh, about uh, It's Only a Paper Moon, whether it's uh, 
plot points, some trivia, some good lines, maybe some guest stars, or who who is uh, who this episode uh, centers around. Um, whatever you can think of, just uh, you know, write it down and um, see how you uh, compare. While uh, Andrew collects his thoughts here, and all right, I've got uh, one minute on the clock. Andrew, are you ready? I'm re- I'm ready, man. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this justice, but yeah, I'll try my best. Okay, one minute starting now. Okay, so there's an episode shortly before this one called like Siege Seven Four Seven Three or something like that, where Nog experiences. Um, kind of like first-hand on-the-ground war. And so in this episode, he comes back from basically like an injury. Uh, he's got an injured leg, I think, or an injured foot or something. And essentially, he's having a really hard time dealing with um, the situation. So he ends up going to Vic Fontaine's casino, and he starts living there with Vic. And he kind of comes engrossed in it. Uh, and people are saying, you know, it's probably healthy. You know, he's just going to blow off some steam and do that kind of thing. But he ends up living there for weeks and weeks. And he's helping Vic get gigs and, you know, change around the bar and everything like that. Um, and it's, it's a kind of a deep look at, like, PTSD. And eventually, you know, Quark uh, starts to come in and help. And they try to convince him to come back. And Jake tries to get him back. He starts snapping at them. And it's basically just his journey through this whole PTSD thing. And, uh, yeah, that is its only favorite movie. It is a classic. I know I'm out of time, but it's an absolute classic. If you guys have never seen it before, go and watch it. Uh, yeah, amazing, amazing episode. So we got a nice little plug there at the end of your one minute. But, yeah, you're right. It's yeah, so- it's it's so good, man. I mean, we haven't had a ton of Deep Space Nine on, uh, on our TR yet. That's and right, yeah. yeah, this is a good one. I am I am super pumped to watch to watch this one because it is really really good. Yeah, you're right. It is a it is a sort of you know it's a it, it fits with sort of the whole war part war theme of Deep Space Nine because this is like the the you kind of see the consequences on you know individuals. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's and you know what? It's one of the few times where you really see kind of a deep look at somebody dealing with. Uh, a major mental illness basically um, in a Star Trek episode. So yeah, that's going to be a good one. We don't want to talk about it too, too much now, but yeah, that's going to be a good one. Yeah. Save it for the next podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's it. That's the end. Um, all the time we have for this week. Uh, we Thanks so much for joining us uh, on Random Trek Review. And we hope that you will join us next time on RTR as we take a look at It's Only a Paper Moon. Bye everybody. Thank you.